0: Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence based research and cutting edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast. This is episode number 48, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with my guest today, Dr. Paul Herkel, all about concussions traumatic brain injury, and what you can do on the diet, supplement, exercise, and lifestyle front to support prevention and recovery. In this episode, Dr. Herkel is going to dive into the pathophysiology, quote-unquote, root cause of mild traumatic brain injury, otherwise known as concussion. He'll discuss the if clinical recovery, no symptoms, means you are physiologically ready to play, where things stand in terms of biomarkers and testing for both prevention and diagnosis. He'll also dive into specific dietary interventions that may support superior recovery in brain health, as well as supplements like fish oils, curcumin, creatine, and exogenous ketones on concussion recovery. Tons of great stuff here from Dr. Herkel. As always, you can check out my layups and performance tips at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. And a quick note as we move into the last few weeks of the year and the last few episodes of this season one in 2017, I'm going to be capping off the year with a best of 2017 episode. So please let me know what your favorite guests or favorite episodes were by connecting with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Dr. Bubbs. And we will do our best. I will do my best to include it in our year and highlights show. Okay, enjoy this fantastic episode with Dr. Herkel on concussions. I'm joined today by Dr. Paul Herkel, a board certified naturopathic doctor with a passion to apply innovative and evidence based nutritional, biological, and supplemental interventions to address underlying metabolic, endocrine, and immunological dysfunctions. Dr. Herkel is a strong advocate of integrative medical education and lectures extensively on the topic of integrative and natural approaches to concussions and brain injuries. He's a mem- he is a member of the Scientific Advisory Board of Complete Concussion Management and an international leader in research-based concussion management education and certification. He currently is the medical director for advanced orthomolecular research and maintains a clinical practice in Toronto. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time today. Pleasure to have uh, to be here with you, Mark. Thanks very much for having me. No problem. Listen, we've known each other for a number of years, going back to our days at CCM and in medical school. Mm-hmm. Can you share with listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got interested in naturopathic stroke functional medicine?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, um, I always attribute my my journey into naturopathic medicine really back to my family and specifically my mom. You know, I was one of the few students back in high school that uh, that wanted to be an ND way back then, and um, you know, unlike a lot of other people that came to naturopathic medicine through their you know maybe a, a, an experience with a doc or or they shadow somebody or they. Or they kind of came to it as a second career. You know, I, my family was into organic stuff before it was cool and trendy to to be in organic stuff. So that really exposed me to naturopathic medicine. And you know, I, I kind of I uh, did my undergrad and master with did uh, kinesiology, played varsity volleyball, and and really was a kind of continued on that uh, that path. Did my four years at CCNM, um, and you know, really never looked back. Um, so, it, it's, been, it's been a really good journey, um, and it's been kind of nonstop ever since then.
0: Awesome. Well, today we're going to talk all things concussions. Uh, mm-hmm. You recently gave a talk at the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors, uh, the conference there in Canada, on this topic. So, maybe we can kick things off here with just a medical definition of, you know, what is a concussion or traumatic brain injury?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you look at the literature, the first thing you have to look at is um, most scientists will refer to it as traumatic brain injury, and there's different aspects of that. There's a severe, there's a moderate, and there's a mild TBI or traumatic brain injury. The TBI, MTBI or mild TBI can be um, used kind of interchangeably with concussion. So whenever you say concussion, it refers to the mild traumatic brain injury uh, version, Um, there's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different groups of experts around the world that are, you know, looking to codify and standardize, uh, the, the understanding of concussions and recently, um, a group in Berlin, which is uh, every eight or so years they meet and they kind of put together this consensus. And the latest one, 2016 was from Berlin. They actually look at it as sport-related concussion or SR, uh, SRC. So really when you're looking at what's happening in an MTBI or concussion or sport-related concussion is that there's a traumatic injury to the brain. There's a trauma to the brain. It doesn't always have to be uh, a direct hit to the actual skull. Um, there can be a lot of uh, traumatic brain injuries for from neck um, damage. And really there's a there's a whole pathophysiological change that happens right after that particular concussion, which I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit more detail. And then there's a, a, there's a number of symptoms that come along with that, uh, yeah. with, a, with a TBI.
0: Yeah, what are some of those symptoms? Because I think most people, unless they have a medical background, just think of concussions as, you know, someone who gets knocked out on the field or, or a patient who gets knocked out. What are some of the common symptoms associated with mild TBIs?
1: Yeah, they can, again, vary depending on the, the trauma and depending on the person. But you're really looking at, you know, a potential loss of consciousness uh, you're looking at uh, vision changes. You're looking at balance changes, uh, possibly a, a slurred speech, change in ability to have cognitive processing that happens. Uh, and so these are some of the, uh, the immediate things that, that occur. But what we're now realizing is that some of these changes um, actually can happen and take place um, well after the initial injury. Uh, and so there's uh, these types of changes can happen uh, hours to days after. And there's also such thing as something called post-concussion syndrome where most uh, most people will resolve spontaneously from a concussion within the first um, 10 to 14 days. And then about 30% will progress to this post-concussion syndrome. And that's a separate uh, situation where there's a, a whole lot of other symptoms like uh, depression, change in sleep, um, headaches, vision changes, vestibular issues, balance issues, et cetera.
0: Awesome. And if we kind of jump in at the, you know, so if someone experiences a traumatic brain injury and in this kind of acute, uh, post-acute and into full recovery, what are the, what are the changes there? What's the pathophysiology that's taking place during that time?
1: Yeah. So uh, I, Concussion is one of those areas of research that there's such a huge focus on really trying to understand what's going on Because for the longest time we haven't really fully understood it, but here's what we know uh, From a functional medicine perspective uh, Is that after after an a trauma to the head? And neck there is a stretching or damage to the nerve cells as everyone can kind of picture a nerve cell from their basic biochemistries, there's the there's the the leg part, and there's the uh, the dendrite part, the ones that interact with other neurons, and then there's this axon, and those axons can actually be stretched. Those particular myelin sheaths and fiber can be stretched, so there's actual structural damage that happens after that concussion. What we now know is that immediately right after that particular uh, trauma, there's also an inflammatory process that starts to happen. And what that means is that there are certain immune cells inside the brain called microglia. And these microglia are basically sentinels or guards in the brain that normally they are not doing um, anything but regulating uh, the. <clears throat> the growth and the, and the development of the brain <laughs> but after an injury they become turned on they start spitting out these inflammatory uh, molecules and so there's this chronic there's this acute which can easily become chronic inflammatory process at the same time there is also uh, a, after that damage to those nerve cells there's a tremendous release of potassium out to the outer intercellular space so between neurons and that has an equal uh, an opposite reaction for calcium to rush in. Normally magnesium potassium are inside the cells and calcium and sodium are outside the cells. That's what maintains that gradient for neuronal conduction. And that actually changes rapidly. <clears throat> calcium rushes in and there's a uh, there's uh, an excitotoxic process. What that means is that the body releases the neurons release Um, uh, excitatory molecules such as glutamate. We've all heard of MSG before, monosodium glutamate. And this is exactly why MSG is so damaging. Is because it overstimulates nerves uh, via the NMDA receptor. And this receptor is basically an action uh, receptor, but it becomes overstimulated after concussion. And this, this glutamate actually rushes calcium further into the cell. And ultimately what that leads to is the body's uh, mitochondria, which is the power plants inside of our cells, they become overworked and exhausted trying to pump the calcium back out and maintain that gradient. And we eventually become mitochondrial—we uh, become a mitochondrial deficiency in ATP. So there's an immediate kind of like, let's try to get this out of the uh, out of the cells, and then ultimately the mitochondria are damaged and exhausted. Um, and a lot of mitochondria, as you know, anybody that's done any sort of exercise is that normal physiology creates a lot of oxidative stress. Now think about this as your brain damaged has an overwhelming amount of um, use of oxygen that creates a damaging effect of, uh, of oxidative stress. So that's really the acute pathophysiology and ultimately that leads to damage, of, and, damage and death of our nerve cells. Um, our body has antioxidant systems in place to try to balance it, but in, in a TBI and obviously the worse it gets, the more severe it is, is that the body's own systems are not able to keep up with the demand.
0: And that's really important because oftentimes, you know, clinical recovery, which is not having any symptoms, uh, doesn't translate to the physiological recovery, uh, which, which you talk about there. And of course, you know, in sport, typical return to play decisions are often made, um, based on symptoms rather than this full physiological recovery. So, you know, where are we at in terms of any kind of testing or, or markers that could help us in terms of identifying uh, mild TBI or concussions?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent, excellent question, Mark, because th- that really is the, the most important thing that we ultimately want to understand the path, pathophysiology, is that we want to know when can an athlete, when can a person go back to work, when can they go back to school, when, they, when can they go back to play? So you brought up a very, very, very important point. I'm just going to highlight it once again, is that symptomatology does not equal physiological recovery. So um, if a person's sitting at home and they don't have a headache, that doesn't necessarily mean that the the systems in the brain have got back to a homeostasis static place. So the way that we actually are able to test this and the way that a lot of top athletic teams are testing this now is that they actually have a challenge of exercise. So it's not about your symptoms at rest. It's about your symptoms when you are challenged physiology, physiologically, probably in a way that you would be challenged on a normal day-to-day basis if you're an athlete. So, for example, if you're a hockey player, you would be put through um, an exercise. Um, there's actually a, a, a particular exercise called the Blackhawks protocol, which um, actually puts an athlete through a battery of movements that would replicate playing hockey. And if a person still has symptoms, then then they have not physiologically recovered. So there's a difference between kind of clinical symptoms and actually having physiological recovery. And you can you need to actually. Stress the body in a way to to challenge that. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you mentioned are there any markers? This is something that you know research is really trying to uh, hone in on identify. And there are some kind of promising blood markers that are being um, that are being looked at. But the take home point is that. N- none of these are anywhere close to being able to be used in in clinical practice. So really, there's no blood marker like CRP or or ESR or any marker of inflammation that's really going to tell us if a person's return to play. There's a number of neurotransmitters, uh, calcium levels, uh, lactate um, that will go down over time. It takes about uh, 10 days to 14 days to fully recover in most people. So even though your symptoms have gone away, in three to five days, person says, oh, I am feel good. The research shows that your body, your brain is still in a metabolically vulnerable position. So that's my takeaway point that I share with athletes.
0: And for someone who's experienced this, I mean, in terms of initiating some, some rehab, some active rehab, I mean, classically, you know, athletes or clients to be told to just go rest in some kind of dark room for a while. And then, right. you know, when you feel better, come out and we'll, we'll get things rolling. But how has that changed today in terms of what can folks do in terms of that initial active rehab to, to get things rolling? Yeah,
1: that's, that's a huge thing, especially for trainers, physios, chiros that are kind of dealing with that. Um, you know, typically here in Canada, the uh, medical doctor makes that kind of return to play decision. But unfortunately, in our experiences is that <laughs> they are not fully trained in managing the the recovery time and understanding this physiological recovery. So um, the recommendations now, and this is actually what was so good about this, this 2016 Berlin consensus uh, uh, paper is that they actually came out and said the old uh, adage of kind of rest, dark, no screens, uh, you know, still applies in the acute phase, but they also said you want to be doing Subsymptom activity, and that that means that you know if at rest there's no symptoms, then you you need obviously need to rest until you get no symptoms at at rest, and then at that point you want to be getting up and doing some very gentle movements, uh, maybe getting on a on a bike, and that is in line with understanding some of the issues that happen in a concussion where blood flow is impaired, uh, and oxygen there's an oxygen issue uh uh, getting into the brain there is an atp deficiency and we know exercise has some positive benefits so that's the big change now is that you can do exercise sub symptoms uh, and you really again you really want to wait a good week before you start that regardless if you even if you have symptoms and then you want to kind of push yourself until you get symptoms and stay underneath that
0: Awesome. So yeah, staying below that threshold, getting the movement going so that there's some blood flow is, is critical. Now, um, if we shift over to even you know support on the pharmacological side, any drugs or medications that are supportive at the moment in terms of uh, mild TBIs?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is, uh, this is something the Berlin consensus addressed as well. Um, I see this a lot in my practice. Um, the research is very clear. There is absolutely no neuroprotective uh, pharmacological medication that is going to have a positive effect. There every single medication is is typically should only be used in post- concussion syndrome when there are comorbidities and symptoms such as depression. And even then, the research is very, very spotty. So it's something that um, that that we warn patients when they have an acute concussion to stay away from, pharmacological medications because A, there's no evidence for their benefit and B, they can actually mask symptoms of of TBIs. And that is actually dangerous when we're looking at um, making a really informed return to plague uh, decision. So a lot of symptoms that that medications have, they have a lot of um, similar symptoms to concussions. So sometimes is it a side effect of the medication? So it kind of really muddies the water. Um, So, uh, as of right now, the the literature um, is very clear on, you know, there isn't any medication that's going to have a beneficial effect in concussions.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it gets pretty tricky, doesn't it, when it's things like blurred vision, headache, poor memory, poor concentration are the side effects of the medication. So, it's tough to delineate what's going on between the actual um, pathology and the medication. Now, what about things like NSAIDs? Do they help or hinder a client with uh, uh, mild TBI?
1: Yeah. And that's the NSAIDs are something very commonly used for things like headaches because, you know, people are in pain. The first thing they take is, you know, um, an anti-inflammatory that they might have hanging around at home. Um, When I, when you look at the evidence using NSAIDs and you, and you might say, you know what, well, there's inflammation happening in my brain. Why don't we, you know, why don't we decrease that inflammation with NSAIDs? The research actually showed that there's an opposite effect. They, had a worsening of cognition when they were using uh, uh, NSAIDs, such as something like ibuprofen, uh, after a concussion. And I think the, the reason why this is the case is it speaks to the fact that we just highlighted how many different factors uh, and um, <clears throat> dysfunctions are occurring after a concussion. At, at NSAIDs, or any medication for that matter, is really good at doing one particular thing. And then it has a lot of kind of collateral damage going around uh, along with it. So NSAIDs are much too limited in their approach. And we really need a multifaceted approach. And even the literature now is calling on, you know, using antioxidants to, to target and, and decrease some of the oxidative inflammatory stress after a concussion. Because medications are just too specific and they are not going to have that that broad effect that's needed uh, after a concussion.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting that the uh, the more general medication now becomes sort of the more more potent one, so to speak. And if we if we talk about this from a functional medicine perspective, um, what are the areas there? We t- touched on it, you know, earlier on. But what are some of the areas to focus on in terms of supporting recovery with someone with the TBI? Yeah, just
1: from a broad stroke perspective, you know, I I think. Uh, I always maintain whenever I do a lecture and teach other docs about any sort of health issue, I always say if you understand the pathophysiology, you are going to be able to understand how to treat it. And that's exactly the foundation of functional medicine. Really, when we look at it uh, and summarizing what I kind of talked about earlier, is that we know that there is excitotoxicity happening. So that's excess glutamate. That means uh, calcium is being put inside the cell. So we need to be looking at things to balance that NMDA receptor. Zinc and magnesium are two, one of the most important balancers for that excitotoxicity. Phenine uh, also has, uh, the amino acid theanine also has the ability to kind of balance the NMDA receptor and, and decrease the um, over excitation of the NMDA receptor. Uh, oxidative stress, so antioxidants that are, can be very helpful in mitigating the oxidative stress but the key thing I would point out here, which a lot of the drug trials have found, um, and actually they found in their failures to have a therapeutic effect, is that you know it's great to have an antioxidant on paper, but how is it able to get into the brain? So that's a, the, those practical considerations have to be kept in mind. Low-grade inflammation is another big one, uh, and the microglial activation. Uh, a number of botanical compounds have been shown to decrease the uh, inflammatory response of microglia and put them back in that kind of more sentinel state Uh, we know that there's an impairment in blood flow uh, so that's going to be a a big target for us to kind of especially when we're dealing with post-concussion syndrome and really chronic and lingering some symptoms uh, repairing the leaky blood brain barrier and improving blood flow is going to be really really important and then finally um, rehabil- rehabilitating and restarting the mitochondria, and promoting neuroplasticity. I think we all have a fairly good idea that our brain is has an incredible ability to heal itself, and concussions are no different. So anything that we can do to promote neuroplasticity, for example, DHA and fish oils and L-carnitine are some of the better ones at promoting
0: new uh, nerve growth. And you touched on one there in terms of fish oils, obviously, is something that people often think of as first-line therapy, DHA, uh, in terms of brain-supportive benefits. And it as you mentioned, these nutrients that you've gone through here are impacting multiple pathways. Can you talk a little bit more about how you know, fish oils is going to impact um, m- multiple um, root causes here of the TBIs?
1: Yeah, I, I think the the term that I introduced to, um, to my colleagues is a term called pleiotropic. I mean, you can... Use another term like multifaceted or multi action, but this is why medications have failed is that they are not pleotropic. they don't have uh, multiple mechanisms of action. so scientists are really enamored by particular substances that have a a, a very multifaceted action um, mode of action because they're able to address all the different multiple different pathways and and fish oil is probably the poster child for that. Um, one of the key things to understand about omega-3s, um, unlike standard NSAIDs and anti-inflammatories that block pathways such as the um and lipoxygenase, so the COX-2 and, and LOX-2 pathways, there is a whole other side of inflammation that we don't really get taught about in schools, and that is the side of um, resolution of the inflammation, or uh, the term in the literature is called resulomics. And the, the cellular membranes have the omega-3s incorporated into those cellular membranes, but there's also saturated fats, there's also omega-6s. So the amount of omega-3s, we want to have the optimal balance that it, not only is it going to have an anti-inflammatory effect after the, the initial inflammatory cascade is produced after a trauma, but it's also going to have the resolution effect. And that is the ability for the cell to eliminate the inflammation because inflammation has its role at protecting the cell and creating healing, but we also want a very very strong ability to yes attract healing chemokines and 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 cell signaling molecules, but then also resolve that inflammation. So lymphatics are very important, uh, and and fish oil has a very powerful ability to upregulate those resolution factors um so that's why it's 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 really front and center when we're talking about brain injury
0: and is there a proposed optimal dose at the moment in terms of fish oils and does that change if we're talking prevention versus uh post-injury
1: yeah um great question mark uh because it depends on the clinician um when it when it comes to uh the dosage uh in in my practice uh, again so I'll, i'll start by saying Typically, when people think about brain, they think about the DHA component of omega-3. So there's the EPA, and then there's the DHA component. DHA is considered more structural, and majority of the um, DHA is found in the brain. There's you know very there's much less EPA. I believe there's over 90% uh, DHA uh, in the brain compared to EPA. EPA is more of the functional uh, component of fish oils, where it'll have a little bit more of an anti-inflammatory effect. So I think depending on the clinician, depending on the research, there are studies looking at, um, in animals, of course, um, looking at the use of DHA by itself, but also the combination. I typically um, will use a combination of EPA and DHA, but I'll actually dose quite high acutely. So I'll use it with almost like a pharmacological style dosing. Um, And this is in line with a couple other clinicians, namely... Um, Dr. Michael Lewis, he's a he's a medical doctor from the states, who is um, a big proponent of using high high dose fish oils, like something like you know nine grams three times a day. Now again, I'm not saying that everyone should be on that. That's a very acute dose. I think a maintenance dose would be something like three grams of a three to uh, three to two ratio of EPA DHA. And then acutely you know you can maybe double or triple that for maybe five days after a concussion Uh, but remember it takes two it takes two to three months for uh omega-3s to fully get incorporated into the brain and into the cellular membranes so you know prevention in this case um you know announced there is definitely worth a pound of cure there
0: absolutely and you know, another nutrient that gets a lot of uh, discussion when it comes to brain health is uh, curcumin. Uh, Mm -hmm. How does curcumin support the brain after TBI and some of those multiple pathways that you talked about?
1: Yeah, curcumin is probably, out of all the botanicals in the world, other than maybe uh, green tea, one of the most studied um, herbal extracts, and and rightly so. The amount of of really, really positive literature on curcumin is overwhelming, and in brain injury and neurological issues, it's no different. Curcumin uh, is an anti-inflammatory, uh, antioxidant, and many other kind of actions. It's a, its an extract from turmeric, and it is the ultimate pleiotropic nutrient. So it, it really has the ability to impact multiple pathways. What's really unique about curcumin is that it, um, it actually has the ability to reduce microglial activation. So just like fish oil, uh, DHA and EPA, the, the research on curcumin in concussions are in animal models. We still haven't got to the point where we've just taken one particular nutrient and studied in humans. And those that research is coming and it, it is going to be done. But at this point, we have to use uh, preclinical data. But it shows that it has a very powerful... Uh, anti-inflammatory effect via the microglia and that's something that is unique um, to curcumin compared to something like fish oil. Um, There's research on it being used before and after so again the ability to have kind of uh, a level in your bloodstream and in your brain that uh, if a brain injury does happen you know it is able to be getting to the tissues much uh, easier. The practical point I will say about curcumin is that curcumin is a very uh, fat loving substance it's lipophilic, which means its 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 absorption is very, very notoriously low. Uh, and the second issue is, is that it as soon as it gets into the digestive system, it has to pass through the liver, and then it becomes actually um, conjugated or metabolized by the liver. And then this metabolized form, it is more water-soluble, but it is bigger and bulkier, and it's not able to get in the brain as easily as... Well, curcumin itself, or what the literature terms free curcumin. So it's important that if we're using any sort of uh, botanical substance, we're considering how it gets into the brain. And there are certain forms that are combined with the fat, like phosphatidylcholine, that deliver free curcumin, which ultimately is the brain bioactive version of curcumin. So that's kind of like the practical aspect of, um, of curcumin that I always make sure to include.
0: Yeah, it's incredible stuff, and I mean, being able to reduce obviously inflammation and even increasing some of the beta amyloid clearance is uh, mm-hmm. really promising stuff. Now, uh, before we circle over to diet, um, something that's used often in elite sports and and athletes as well as um, recreational athletes is, is creatine. Can you talk a little bit about how creatine can help to support brain function?
1: Yeah, creatine is one of those um, substances that uh, even even when I was in school, it was kind of like, well, the, that's for the, the, the gym guys. They're the ones that are using creatine. And there's actually quite a bit of therapeutic benefit of using creatine. And and creatine is one of the only substances that has human clinical trials on it showing benefit in concussions and uh, and, and brain injuries in general, I believe, in, in moderate uh, and even severe. Um uh, what creatine is really useful for? Again, going back to the to the pathophysiology and understanding how functional medicine is applied, um, we can recall that immediately after a brain injury, there is a major deficiency in ATP in in the body's energy currency because the mitochondria are desperately trying to maintain um, electrolyte balance and the gradient inside them inside cells. So creatine, what it does is that it is understanding the mechanism that creatine does is that it actually is a precursor eventually to the rapid response pathway uh, the phosphocreatine pathway that we have in our um, energy production cycle and this is the pathway that's used when you when you do a sprint where there's no oxygen you're literally just using up your stores of phosphocreatine and this is a very rapid response energy system so using creatine almost as like spraying quick start into the brain that it's able to maintain survival so it's almost like I'm just gonna kind of um, um, I'm going to fuel you short term um, with creatine so the brain has less um, ATP deficiency and less uh, deaths of the mitochondria so the the results for this actually quite inexpensive supplement are actually quite strong in the sense that they they decrease, some cognitive def- deficits, um, and, and really have a, a beneficial effect, uh, on people with concussions.
0: Yeah. It's outstanding. And of course, a really great safety profile as well. So definitely mm-hmm. something for some people to consider. Now, if we shift gears over to diet and you mentioned things like low grade inflammation, uh, microglial hyperactivation being things to consider on that pathophysiology front, how can an athlete or client's diet and particularly around things like caloric restriction, how can that support uh, brain recovery? you know what i think as a naturopathic doctor
1: diet um is is front and center for me we can easily get kind of caught up in in the really sexy nutrients and and and, and therapies and those are important but you know the foundation of every single one of my uh tbi patients is is diet and, and ultimately that's what's going to bring about the longest lasting benefits um until a couple of years ago we didn't really understand how diet had a role. What, how diet, you know, could impact the recovery after a concussion. Um, but um, with some of the animal studies, actually a couple of studies that have been done here in Canada and in, in the University of Alberta, found that um, animals eating a diet that was high in fat and high in sugar had a much higher um, cognitive decline after a concussion. And the follow-up to that was that when they restricted their calories by 30%, they had a much more protective effect. Now, we've known that fasting, intermittent fasting now, which is so popular, which I know you're an expert on, Mark, you, we really know that it has a tremendous amount of neuroprotective anti-inflammatory effects. Our brain cells particularly are so good at burning ketones, which are become a primary fuel when our brain becomes hypoxic, a lack of oxygen. Um, Again, why medium-chain triglycerides and coconut oil have, again, become so popular because they are a source of those ketones. Now, the caloric restriction by about 30% can have a very beneficial effect on any sort of brain injury, and and that is without taking any sort of nutrient supplement. And, And the way that I share that with my patients is, you know what? You just have to cut out your refined carbs, all your refined sugars, um, and really eat more of a paleo-style, moving towards a, a ketogenic-style diet, short term, and you really start seeing some of these beneficial effects of of, of improving insulin signaling, uh, improving neuroplasticity, and lowering inflammation because the brain responds better to this type of diet.
0: Yeah, it's incredible how just removing you know excess sugars and as you mentioned processed carbohydrates, etc. I mean that effectively gets you into that caloric deficit that you're chasing. And and, and by proxy, these clients and patients and athletes are are taking in more fat. Um, you, you mentioned coconut oil, obviously a great way, vehicle to, for MCTs and to, to create ketones. Anything around ketones supplements, exogenous ketones, anything um, coming out as of yet around uh, brain support?
1: Yeah, it's, it's something that um, recently has been getting a lot of, um, I guess, press. Um, with a whole kind of bulletproof style, um, you know, coffees and ketones in the natural health product world. Um, coconut oil has been popular for a number of years, and then now even MCT oils, which are kind of refined um, further just to contain MCTs. Um, you know, I've, I've really delved into this literature and to understand it better, and here's a couple takeaways. Uh, number one, from a dietary perspective, I think consuming good quality fats is absolutely beneficial. Whether it's phosphatidylcholine, um, whether it's uh, some you know some fats and fat soluble vitamins found in you know grass fed um, and free range meats, wild game, these are all very beneficial. Um, from a from a clinical application perspective using ketones for concussions are, are st- still in their infancy from a clinical application. They're, they're being researched. Um, but there really is very little evidence showing benefits here. We can mechanistically from kind of a functional medicine perspective, we can absolutely apply some of those things. And I don't think using an MT- MCT oil supplement is going to be, nah, have a negative effect. It'll most likely have a positive effect. Um, but um, recently, coconut oil has come under a little bit of uh, controversy where the American Heart Association pretty much called it worse than butter and and tallow and beef um, according to kind of a meta-analysis that was published uh, in two thousand and seventeen. Uh, and really, looking at that, um, looking at that research to somebody that understands how to read research really clearly shows that, there was no decrease, no difference in ratio of total cholesterol to HDL, which is the most important predictor of, of heart disease. It also raised the good, the HDL cholesterol, uh, and there was a lot of confounding factors. So really coconut oil I still think is a beneficial, um, uh, benefic- beneficial food, and I would apply MCT oils. Um, I just haven't got to the point that I can use them therapeutically uh, because the literature is not there
0: for sure. Well, great, great indications there to, you know, use it in the cooking. And for anybody who wants to dig in a little bit deeper into the, the research that, that, uh, Paul's mentioning there, you can go back to, I think it's episode 33, which is rewind part two. We, we dive into the, the research there and the studies and kind of pick that, that piece apart around the coconut oil. So, um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Paul, here before we—I uh, want to be mindful of the time—is in working with athletes around concussions and mild TBIs, is obviously this issue of sleep and quality of sleep. Can you um, give folks an idea of what's what's going on here with uh, concussion sufferers and their sleep quality?
1: Yeah, one of the biggest things that become uh, impacted after a concussion that often is overlooked is sleep. Um, the research shows that you know over fifty percent of people that have a concussion. Have some sort of sleep issues, and the real kicker here, Mark, is that the sleep disturbance can even be present up to three years after a mild wow. uh, even even a mild TBI. So, uh, you know, those are huge numbers, and we know that um, also what changes after concussion is a lot of hormonal issues. So, the pituitary gland is in the brain, and it, it becomes um, it can easily become damaged, and similar to sleep. The, the pituitary hormones that are produced that often can help regulate a lot of our energy and, and circadian cycles, they can also change up to a year after. So this is why I think sleep is um, has such a uh, some kind of a lag period. We also know that one of the most common deficiencies in <clears throat> after concussion, uh, again, referring back to the hormonal connection, is actually growth hormone and growth hormone when is it most commonly produced while we're sleeping so again there's that huge connection between the hormonal health of a person uh, after an injury and uh and and concussions one of the big things that i often always ask and i see this in a lot of my kind of more chronic pain patients uh is that um after an mva after an accident you have to consider somebody that has low hormones or symptoms of let's say uh uh a patient i'm thinking of is presents with depression um, let's say a middle-aged male and they were in in a in a traumatic uh, kind of accident they were in, in an mva and they had a concussion but n- didn't really have the symptoms after it but then now they have this depression that they don't can't figure out why and i and i see that this all the time their testosterone is is really really low so it's either low outside of range or even low normal range um, and that again shows to me that there's this major lag time that can uh, that can occur. And we need to be mindful of the hormones that regulate our energy systems. Uh, so that's thyroid, adrenals, melatonin is, is incredibly powerful as a neuro antioxidant and also helps reset our circadian rhythm. So that's that's a really, really important way to regulate sleep on top of a really, really strong sleep hygiene uh, protocol.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask there, obviously talking about sleep, which is a, you know, circadian uh, rhythm and of course hormonal output as well being um, functioning on that circadian dial. How important is just maintaining circadian rhythm for patients with TBI? Is that something that becomes dysfunctional uh, with concussion patients?
1: Very much so, Um, for a lot of the reasons I I just mentioned, because circadian rhythm is is regulated ultimately through hormones and neurotransmitters. And there's a huge kind of um, chicken and egg cycle uh, between neurotransmitters and hormones. Specifically around sleep is that um, when circadian rhythm becomes disrupted for for reasons such as hormonal imbalances uh, and sleep dysfunction in general, Ah, uh, melatonin levels go down and combine that with the 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 huge increase in the exposure to artificial light especially in the hours before we're getting to sleep there's a constant low grade overstimulation of the brain and there that's where that sleep hygiene piece comes in so i use a, a lot of melatonin Um, with my patients, with my concussion patients, because the research shows there's a beneficial effect as a neuro antioxidant. But I also tell them about reducing exposure to artificial light sources, you know, after eight or nine o'clock. And, you know, somebody that doesn't have a concussion and that doesn't have major sleep issues might be able to get away with it. Uh, You know, everyone watches a show after they get home um, or watch some TV. But people with a brain injury, just like with a chronic disease, they have an increased sensitivity. So, using something as simple as some of the um, screen changes to make it more yellow that you can do on your computer or your phone, For sure. or actually using blue-blocking glasses, you can buy these very fairly inexpensive glasses that you can put on late at night. Uh, fishermen use them to block blue light to get better visibility uh, during the day, and it's something that something very simple that could be very helpful.
0: I've still got my dads from the 1980s. They work great at night. <laughs> use it for the computer work. Listen, there you go. fantastic stuff here, Paul. Really great insights. I definitely want to be respectful of your time. Um, so if we shift gears here on a personal note for the last question, you're a very busy man. How do you start your day? Do you have any uh, routines in the morning? Are you a coffee person? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, you know what? Uh, Honestly, I was talking to my wife about this. Uh, My routine is dictated by our kids right now. And so uh, as part of being a a clinician, as part of working, um, being uh, an educator and working, having having my hands in a lot of different projects, uh, it it takes a lot of my time. So I usually try to do a little bit of work in the morning. Um, But lately with um, with the birth of my third daughter really is just hanging out with uh, with my family, I think food and breakfast is one of the most important meals of the day and making sure that they get a really, really good meal. So I've kind of sacrificed my personal time in terms of some of the, you know, the, maybe the meditation practices. Um, I usually try to get some time for prayer in the morning. Uh, but really my kids uh, dominate my morning routine right now, as I'm sure, you know,
0: absolutely. I have one of my previous guests, uh, Dr. Um, Daniel Plews, you'd mentioned about taking his HRV in the morning, right when he first wakes up, and I said, "Geez, how does that affect when your kids are screaming at you?" Or you know, <laughs> the heart rate tends to spike a little bit. But uh, awesome, And This is great stuff. I look forward to uh, hearing more of your fantastic work. Where can people stay connected with you? And where can people learn more about the exciting uh, program around concussions that you're kicking off?
1: Yeah, yeah. My uh, my website is uh, uh, paulherkel and uh, dot com, and you can check me out. Um, at integrativeconcussions.com as well. That's a new program that um, I'm launching in 2018. I do a lot of education of other healthcare practitioners on everything we just discussed today, basically functional medicine approaches to concussions. And then just by kind of popular demand, um, people want to know more how they can get connected with um, practitioners that are dealing with concussions. So that's where I'm dealing with complete concussion management, which is an international network of practitioners that are basically up to date on the latest research they've taken one of the most comprehensive courses out there but it's not necessarily for functional medicine practitioners or for naturopathic doctors so i'm in the process of kind of creating the uh the um, integrative medicine side of that and that'll be kind of a, a certification course that people can get plugged into this really really dynamic network to stay up on the latest research which is just changing every single day
0: Awesome, Paul. That's fantastic. We'll definitely include all those links in the podcast summary as well as the uh, the Berlin consensus that you mentioned there in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. Paul, thanks again for coming on, buddy. Thanks again for everyone else tuning in. If you have any questions or comments um, on today's episode, love to hear from you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drbubs. And of course, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share with friends and colleagues. Thanks again and see you all next week.